Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. So, last week was fun, wasn't it? We got to have a little extended time in prayer. The Holy Spirit swoops in and ruins all of our plans and... Uh, ends up being way better than anything we could have ever put together ourselves, doesn't it? That's the way it always works. But y'all, this is what I keep getting hit with. And if it means we're a weird church, then we're going to be a weird church. If we're going to do things a little bit different here at the Gospel House, we're going to do things a little bit different. Because we have to let God make the plans. If we say we want to be led by the Spirit, if we say we want to be a, a church that's about God's kingdom then we got to let him do his thing. And that means we got to make room for him to do his things. Now, there's that old saying out there, you know, make plans loosely or hold on to your plans loosely so that God to ha can have his way and can change them and move and all that stuff. Y'all, I don't know. I, the, the, I talked about this last week, but the more I get into this, the more, the more I, I start stepping into all of this, I don't, I don't want to make plans at all. I just want to let the Holy Spirit do his thing. And so why not let God make all of my plans for me? Now, I know I've got friends. I know who you are. You'll email me this week. Pastor Jeremy, I'd like to go get coffee with you. I know what that means. You want to complain about something that I said in the sermon. And I know who you are because it happens every time I talk like this. I've got friends who call me, friends who watch our services online, people who are here right now who will call and say, hey, you're talking a little crazy, Pastor Jeremy. You're saying it's not okay for me to make plans. I don't know, y'all. I don't know. Because, I, and, and maybe you can answer this for me, has anybody ever gone that extreme to where you said, all right, God, I'm going to try this. I'm going to give it a shot. I am not going to make plans and I'm going to step off this ledge, and I'm going to let you make the plans for me. I've never tried it, y'all. I've been too scared. Well, what if God doesn't? Because, right, you get all the things popping in your head when I was younger and stupid. Younger always means stupid when I tell stories. So when I was younger, I used to think I was going to be a famous country music singer. You can laugh. It's okay. That's what I thought, right? I thought I was going to be this famous country music singer, right? But I never believed it enough to not have a backup plan, right? And so I went to college. I went to school to become a teacher. That's paying off dividends, isn't it, right? But, but here's the thing, y'all. How many of us treat God like that? And I think that's what happens because, honestly, y'all, what happened with my country music career is I tr didn't trust it enough and so I pursued my backup plan more than I pursued my career in music. And it didn't happen, right? I'm not encouraging you to go become a famous country music singer. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I think we treat God the same way. We're scared to step off the ledge. And so we create these backup plans for if God doesn't come through, right? And look, I get it. 
This is worldly wisdom. This is what the world tells you to do, leadership, culture, and all the stuff we have. Don't step off the ledge. That's not safe. Make your plans, make your plans, and then hold them loosely, and if God doesn't move, then at least you've got a solid plan. I don't know. I'm not opposed to being a lab rat, right? If God wants to do an experiment, I'm not, exposed, it, 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 I'm not against having him experiment on me. Why not do an experiment? Why not say, all right, God, Pastor Jeremy's nuts, but he says do an experiment, so I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it a week. I'm not going to make plans, and I'm just going to follow you, Jesus. And if you tell me what to do every step of the way, then I'm going to keep doing it until you stop. And guys, maybe, just maybe, this gospel isn't that crazy. Maybe God really will show up, and he really will direct every single one of our steps. But the only way we are ever going to find out is if we give up this safe Christianity that the world teaches us. Somewhere along the lines, you know, we, we, we said it a couple weeks ago, I'm going all in, Jesus. But what's that all in look like? All in with a harness, right? I'm just going to keep telling stories about myself. But I, I used to do roofing in the summers when I wasn't teaching, right? And you always, you're supposed to always tie off you know, you put a nail up a little thing up on the peak of the roof, and then you tie off and wear a harness so that if you fall off the roof, you don't die. It, it catches you, right? Nobody ever does it. Sorry, OSHA, if you're watching this. Nobody ever does it. And why? Because it holds you back. You need to go grab a shingle over here, and you can't get there because it's holding you back. And so you never tie off. You just run all over the roof, and if you fall, you fall. My boss, I won't mention any names, but he always used to tell me, you're fired before you hit the ground. That was, that was always the plan for when you fall off the roof. But we follow Jesus the same way. We say that we're all in, but we're tied off. We keep ourselves, we keep ourselves hooked to this worldly tether that keeps us from truly going all in after what he has for us. And the reason for that is because I think if we really dig into it, we'll find that we're really not poor in spirit. We haven't reached that level of poverty of self enough because there's still part of myself, still part of my life that I am holding on to. I don't want to do this because I don't want to look like a nut job. God, I don't want to do this because I know what my parents will say if I start acting all crazy. God, I don't want to do this because I know the church isn't going to respond to a pastor who loses his marbles and all of a sudden starts doing all this crazy stuff. But those are all worldly things that I'm holding on to. If God says, go, then I need to go, right? If God says, jump, then I need to jump. If God says, you get the picture? We've got to do it. And the only way we will ever do it is if we become poor enough in our spirit that his spirit is the only thing we have left. So, we got one more week of this, y'all. One more beatitude, one more time, and then we are done. I promise, for those of you who are like, I just want a new scripture reading, it's coming next week, so don't you worry. Today we finish up, and we're going to talk about what I had planned on talking about last week, but this is the second part of the aim of spiritual poverty. Because we aren't told to be poor in spirit for no reason. 
there is a very specific aim for it. So today we talk about the last two of those. First of all, the aim of spiritual poverty is not to stay poor. We've got to replace that with something else. And then second, replacing that, we have to replace it with something that has purpose and a very specific purpose of that. So first up, do not stay poor. There is a real danger out there. In Eastern meditation, Eastern religions, Eastern meditation, the practice of Eastern meditation is for the purpose of emptying yourself. And so you come up with all of these things, right, with yoga and with breathing techniques and all this. Look, y'all, yoga, the stretching aspects of yoga, it's not inherently evil. If you go home and you want to stretch after a hard workout, the devil's not going to possess you from that, right? Breathing techniques aren't bad. I've got a little app on my watch, the mindfulness app. Some of you have that on your Apple Watch. Helps you breathe in, breathe out, right? That's not bad. There's nothing evil about that. The problem is when you take it the next level. What, what Eastern religion, what Eastern meditation teaches is that you are looking to be, come to a place where your mind is completely empty, where you empty yourself of absolutely everything. And Christian, you cannot go there. That is a dangerous place, not just for Christians, anyone. That is a dangerous, dangerous place for you to be. So you have to know where to draw the line. And y'all, this isn't just yoga. This isn't just breathing techniques, right? We have to have a gospel anchor in absolutely everything we do because the reality is the Bible actually tells us to meditate, right? There are psalms, there are passages in the Bible that say to meditate, but they say to meditate with a very specific purpose. Where the goal of Eastern meditation is to become completely empty, the goal of biblical meditation is for you to become empty of yourself, but to be filled with God. So that's why everywhere in the Bible where it says to meditate, it says to meditate on God's word. To meditate very specifically because the reality is, we've talked about this before here, but it's worth repeating. There is no such thing as being empty. Jesus Christ talks about this in Matthew 12. I've, I've taught on this passage before. Look, this is going to raise a bunch of red flags. I know we are, we are so smart today, aren't we? Our enlightened minds, Western culture, we are so intelligent. And if you walk up to people on the street and tell them you believe in angels and demons, the majority of the educated masses will tell you, <laughs> you know, they'll do the little pish like fancy people do. They'll laugh at you, right? You believe in all those backwoods things. Y'all, I believe in angels and demons for the same reason I believe that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Why do you believe in angels and demons, pastor? That's so 1800s. Because the Bible says that they're real. The Bible says that they exist. Jesus Christ teaches this. When the unclean spirit comes out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in this order. 
Then it goes and brings along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they come in and live there, and the last condition of that person becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. This is what is so dangerous with Eastern meditation. When you breathe out all the negative and breathe in and empty your mind completely, you cannot stay empty. And if you don't invite Jesus Christ in to fill that emptiness, you're leaving it up for grabs as to what's going to come in. But can I tell you one thing? It's not going to be you. We've got a whole world out there who thinks that they're under control. Y'all, you're not under control. You do not have this. And for everybody who is convinced that they do, you are wrong. And it only is going to take a little while for you to figure out, if your pride will let you, that you were wrong. Because if you do not fill that void with something, something else will fill it. Whether you want that or not, whether you invite it or not. But the same goes for being poor in spirit. This is a trap we can fall into. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But when he says that, the goal of being poor in spirit is not to stay poor, right? It's the same thing. You can't just empty yourself and leave yourself empty. Those who are poor in their spirit, their spirit gets replaced with something else. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the only way that you can walk in the kingdom of heaven? The Holy Spirit, right? It's the only way. The only way that you can live in God's kingdom right here, right now, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not good enough to just pray, God, I want to be poor in spirit, right? It's not good enough just to be empty. Yes, get rid of your spirit, but get rid of it so that you can be filled up with his spirit. Jesus teaches a little earlier in Matthew 6, in the same Sermon on the Mount, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the whole point, y'all. All of it, the aim of everything. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We really don't like to admit this. In fact, we will do just about all the justifying in the world that we can so that we can hold on to our treasured possessions and hold on to Jesus. But the reality is, the more comfortable we are in this life, the harder it is to focus on life with Jesus. The more comfortable, the more things we have in this world, the harder it is to truly live for his kingdom. It's that tether, y'all. 
because whether we want to admit it or not, when we get possessive over our stuff, when we start to say, no, 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 this is mine, I deserve this, right? You guys remember my preaching on the donut box, right? You deserve a donut. Every time I see that, y'all, every time I walk into my house, you deserve a donut. No, you don't, Jeremy. You deserve eternal hell and condemnation. Like, that's what you deserve. But we get that way, don't we? Especially, and this is where, guys, culture, gospel. The American dream gospel is not the gospel. And the biggest danger we have with this American dream is, you know, here in America, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We earn what we have, and we work hard for it, and we careful because it's still not yours what does god's word tell us none of your possessions are yours it's god who gives you the ability to work for your wealth if it weren't for god you wouldn't even be able to pick up the hammer to earn a living right everything we have comes from him every blessing we have comes from him but we live in an entitled generation. And look, I know it's easy, y'all, to look down your nose at the generation beneath you and call them entitled, but don't ignore your own because I see it all the way up the ladder, y'all. I see it in myself. I'm entitled over my possessions. I'm entitled over my family. Well, God gave this to me, so it's mine. Uh-uh, 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 It's not. It's all his and if we're not careful where your heart is that's where your treasure will be right where your treasure is that's where your heart will be it works both ways right so if we tie ourselves to the things of this world if we over prioritize the things of this world look y'all most of us we're not going to see a hundred years on this earth right So where do you want your comfort? Do you want your comfort to come in a place where you're going to spend 50 to 100 years? Or do you want your comfort to come in a place where you're going to spend eternity? Jesus makes this crystal clear. This is why nobody likes these Beatitudes. But the Beatitudes in Matthew are far more popular than the Beatitudes that Jesus gives us in Luke. And there's a reason for that. Because this is what he says in the the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. It says, and he raised his eyes towards the disciples and began saying, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and scorn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and jump for joy, for behold, your reward is, in, is great in heaven. For their fathers used to treat the prophets the same way. But woe to you who are rich. For you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all the people speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets the same way. That's heavy, isn't it? You get the picture why people like Matthew's account a little bit better of what Jesus said. The call is to be poor in your spirit in this life so that you can be rich 
in his spirit for the next life. This does not mean that it is evil to possess things, to have things. It's not wrong to have a 401k. It's not wrong to plan for your retirement. It's not wrong to have a savings account or a television in your house. It's not wrong to take your family on vacations and eat at nice restaurants. But ladies and gentlemen, if you are doing those things at the expense of storing up riches in heaven, then you have got a choice to make. And can I tell you from experience, and I am sure there are saints here more mature in their walk than I, who will tell you the same. If you are blessed, God will always bring you to that fork in the road. There will always come a decision to make. Look, y'all, we've got a messed up definition of blessing in this world. I think what we call blessing in this world, those people are actually the cursed of God. Because God never brings them to that point where they have to make a choice. Do you want wealth in this world or do you want wealth in the next? If you're blessed, God brings you to that choice and makes you make a choice. And it happens in a million different ways, y'all, but he will test your heart in this. Are you looking for riches in this life or are you looking for riches in the next life? You have a choice to make. Is your reputation on this earth more re important than your reputation in heaven? Is your family on this earth more important than your gospel family in heaven? This is what Jesus is pushing us to. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in that passage where he says, if anyone does not hate his mother and father and sister and brother, right? Jesus isn't telling us we should hate our family, right? That would contradict every Old Testament law. And Jesus does not contradict himself. But what he is telling us is there is a very real priority and there is a very right and a very wrong priority in the order in which we love things. And we have to love God and we have to love those in our gospel family significantly more than we love those in our blood family. Gospel blood is thicker than family blood. That's what Jesus is teaching. The reason that God grants the poor in spirit the kingdom of heaven is because that's the only kingdom they're living for. Those who are poor in spirit have given up living for any other kingdom except for God's. And that's why God blesses that. But ladies and gentlemen, when you try to live for both, when you try to live one foot in God's kingdom and one foot in this world, you will get neither. You might be able to navigate those waters for a little while, but it won't last. Look. Look at the people who try to do it. Y'all, I've got friends who do it, who are currently doing it, right? And they convince themselves, we're on fire for Jesus. Not based on how you're living. Because you're selling your soul for anything that's going to make you popular. Right? You all know it. If you don't know it, you're the one, right? It's the famous, turn the tables on you. You cannot live for God and man. If God chooses to give you favor with man then he'll do that. 
but not when you're seeking both. You have to seek him first because that's the Holy Spirit's aim in all of this. We must pray, not my will. We must become poor in spirit, but we have to do so for a very specific purpose. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is another one of those chapters in the Bible that we love to make about just about everything that it's not. We focus on all the big flashy things and get in fights and arguments over everything when the reality is that's not what Paul's talking about. This is what Paul says. He says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father, and subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Look, we make this about everything else, right? See, Christians aren't supposed to drink. It says right there. Not what it says, right? Well, yeah, but speaking in tongues and singing in tongues. Stop. Stop. Why are we making it more than what it is? Why are we making it say what it doesn't say? What is the point of all of this? Be filled with the Spirit. Yes, and I love this. I read this in a Jack Hayford commentary on the Bible a long time ago. I love the Greek word there, the verb tense that's used, is a continual filling. It is not be filled with the Spirit, like run to the well and fill up your bucket and then run back to wherever you were. It is a constant and continual. When it says be filled with the Spirit, it's like you turn on the faucet and it dumps on you and that faucet goes with you everywhere you go. It is a constant and continual filling. Y'all, I don't know about you, but again, we're coming back to this false idea. I can go be filled up with the Spirit real quick, and then I can go do my own thing. And then I can go be filled up with the Spirit, and then I can go do my own thing. And then I can go be... It doesn't exist. It's not biblical. God's Word says, be filled with the Spirit and never stop being filled with the Spirit. But that's, you've got to make that choice, right? You've got to stay surrendered to him to where you're staying under that faucet. You can turn that faucet off and you can say, like Adam and Eve, actually, God, I know how to do this better than you do. Holy Spirit, thanks. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. But I'm going to go do my thing. That's not what God's word teaches. It needs to be continuous. It needs to be constant, to be filled by his spirit. But why? Why does God give this to us? And it's because the command is impossible. You see what the actual command is in here. It comes in that very last verse, and we do not like it. Christians especially. We talked about this when we talked about what it means to truly be meek. When we talked about Jesus says, blessed are the meek, or blessed are the gentle, some translations say. But this is meekness at its core, y'all. Subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. A lot of attention gets paid because the verse that comes immediately after this is, wives, submit to your husbands. In our modern society of strong women, 
tells you, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't submit to anyone. I am woman, hear me roar. Right? We don't like that. Because submission means let yourself be abused. And y'all, I get it. Church, unfortunately, I think we've let ourselves become a little too put up your dukes on this issue. And we refuse to acknowledge, yeah, the church has goofed this up for years and years and years. And there are Christians out there who still try to abuse this and use this to, you know, beat down women and, and keep their wives in submission and, you know, all this stuff. But that's not what it teaches, y'all. That's not biblical submission. And that's not biblical headship as described in the Bible because it goes on to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And where did Jesus ever beat us into submission? Right? It doesn't exist. But even before that, even before that, the command is this. Be filled with the Spirit and subject yourselves to one another. Before Paul gives a single command to wives or husband, he tells every single Christ follower to subject themselves to one another. Put others before yourself serve others before yourself be filled with the spirit so that you can live a completely selfless life completely surrendered we hate that don't we come on y'all be honest i don't like it because what's it mean Oh, pastor, everybody's going to treat me like a doormat. Yep. Look at Jesus. Well, he wasn't a doormat. He flipped tables in the temple one time. One time. Everybody loves to go to this Lion of Judah moment like that's who Jesus was his entire time on this earth. One moment in zeal for his father's house not because of anything in Jesus himself, but because they were abusing his father's temple. And Jesus flips tables. But every other time, what did Jesus do? Selflessly served everyone around him. Subjected himself to everyone around him. And we cannot do that on our own, y'all. I mean, maybe you think you can. I can't. My pride is way too strong. I need to be humbled, and I need to be poor in spirit. And the only way for me to stay there is for me to be consistently and constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Christian, if you aren't consistently plugged in to the Holy Spirit, you will never be able to hear what God's telling you to do. If you aren't constantly in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit, you'll never hear what he's telling you to say. And if you aren't being filled up over and over again by the Holy Spirit, you'll never have the power to do anything that he wants you to do. God has a fantastic plan and purpose for every single one of you. Every single one of you. It's fantastic because it's God's plan. 
Not because it's your dream job or your dream scenario. It's fantastic because it's God's plan. And God doesn't make mistakes. But he has a fantastic plan for you. But we have to keep this in the back of our minds when we're remembering this. This comes from the prophet Jeremiah. It's in Jeremiah 18. God tells Jeremiah, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Am I not able, house of Israel, to deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit does not fill you so that you can go out and accomplish all of your hopes and dreams. I know that's what the church today teaches. That's not true. God does not come alongside you so that you can do your thing and do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's the American dream gospel. And it's a false gospel, and it's a lie. And it completely contradicts what it means to be poor in spirit. But the only way we can see that is to become poor in spirit. We pray, not my will, so that we can fully pray, God, your will be done. I'm not trying to start a fight with any other churches or, or, or anything like that, but y'all, there are too many churches in the United States that are preaching right now, it's all about you. Look, it, it's, it, this is such a tricky line to navigate, because there's truth in it. You mean more to God than anything in the rest of his creation. I don't know why. I can't see it. When I look at myself and all of my mistakes and how screwed up I am, I don't see it. But for whatever reason, God has put humans on a whole other level. We're told in the Bible that, that God puts humans above angels, right? You look at these angels, these celestial beings that fly down and do all these super powerful things. And God puts us ahead of them. It's like, what? God loves you so much. So it's not that. He gave his only son to prove that. But yet, it's not about you. And it can't be about you. Culture says you matter. You're the center of the universe. And so we try to twist God's image to make him look like that. Oh, you're the apple of his eye. He loves you so much. You're all that matters in the world to him. But not while you're doing your own thing. He is not here to fight your battles. He is not here to advance your reputation. He's not here to give you the desires of your heart. Look, Proverbs 37.4 is a great promise in Scripture tells us that God's going to give us the desires of our heart. But before it tells us that, it tells us that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. Because your heart's already delighting in him, and he's never going to hold back himself. The clay does not get to tell the potter 
how it wants to be made. This is not popular in our culture today. We don't like this. But this is what being poor in spirit is all about. I become less so he can become more. I become nothing so that he can become everything. I get my will out of the way so that he can make me all about his will, all about his way. But as long as I stay the center of my universe, as long as I refuse to become fully poor in spirit, as long as I refuse to pray, not my will, then we will continue chasing a calling that God does not have for us. Running a race that he did not set before us. And when we do that, y'all, we're not going to make a lick of difference in God's kingdom. But if we will surrender ourselves to his greater purpose, guys, if we get on the same page with God, then we will find that we are truly alive. That's when we run in the spirit and don't grow weary. There is no such thing. I don't see a single place in the scripture where God tells one of his prophets, one of his apostles walking in the spirit, that they need to worry about burnout. It's a super popular thing today, right? Especially, that's like all the emails I get for church pastors. Guard against burnout. Don't burn out. It doesn't exist. It's not in here. Do you know why? Because those who walk in the spirit don't burn out. Because God's got your back. But y'all, you're the clay. <laughs> you're not the potter. You don't get to walk into the pottery house and be like, God, make me into something magnificent. That's not your job. If he wants to make you into a toilet, that's what you are. That's your job. And there's no blessing anywhere other than that. Right? Are we poor in spirit? I'd love to sit here and tell you that God's calling all of us to be superstars, mega pastors and, you know, all-stars and all that stuff. Y'all, I've been pretty convinced a couple times in my life that God made me out to be a toilet. <laughs> right? And if that's it, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Right? My goal is God himself at any cost, and by any road. We keep coming back to this gospel house. And when we keep coming back to something, it means we've got to pay attention because it means that God requires an answer from us. This has been the question that we've asked at the end of all of these poor in spirits. What is the cross that Jesus is asking you to bear? What's the cross that he's asking you to carry? What is he calling you to do? What step of obedience do you need to take for him? To reframe it for today, what does the potter want to make out of you? These questions are absolutely pivotal for the gospel house moving forward. We as a church, as a church, all of us together, must become poor in spirit which means every single one of us needs to embrace this. And that starts with me, y'all. I refuse to lead this church Jeremy's way. 
I will not do it. This is not my church. This isn't mine. I, I have to be honest with you all. I've never navigated this before, right? I've never planted a church before. But this is not mine. Even if Jana and I started it, it's not mine. Which means whatever, and I, I've got to be honest with you all. Listen, I know when pastors start saying this stuff, I've been in church long enough to know what this means, right? I'm not going anywhere. That's not what I'm saying right now, okay? <laughs> That's typically when pastors start talking crazy like this, it means that they're leaving. I'm not leaving. That's not what I'm saying, but what I am saying is, guys, my goal is God himself. And if tomorrow morning God says, Jeremy, I need you in Tibet, guess where I'm going to be? Tibet. Because I am going wherever Jesus tells me. And I hope you're the same. I hope if tomorrow God says to you, hey, I know you love your Gospel House family, but I actually need you at this other church. Go. Because there's not blessing anywhere else. There is no blessing outside of obedience to Jesus. You've got to go. We have to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Which means this is not my church. This is our church. The gospel house, y'all, goes on with or without me. Right? I hope so. Y'all, if I leave tomorrow and you all scatter and go to a bunch of different churches, that tells me I didn't do my job. I didn't build up this body to be a, a, a body of Christ. Y'all just came because you love Jana and I and you support us. And I love that and I'm thankful for that. But that's not the kind of church I want to build. We are the body of Christ, which means every single one of you plays a vital role in this body. We cannot move forward without every single one of you doing your part. Every single one of you. Which means we have to be poor in spirit. Because we've got to be careful. This can bring up entitlement, right? Well, the body of Christ can't move ahead without me. The gospel head can't, go, gospel head, gospel house can't work without me. So, ah, uh, yes, I'm one of the founding members here at the gospel house. All you others need to get in place. Oh, yeah, well, I was brought into membership in September of 2023, right? I know all these members wouldn't do that, right? New members. But, guys, that's not poor in spirit, is it? to wag your finger and, well, I, uh, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I, that's not what it is. Putting others before you. Serving others before you. Guys, this is that sticky balance. It's not all about you. But the reality is God needs you. The gospel house needs you. This church needs you. But it needs you to step into the calling that God has for your life. Y'all, this is this this there should be some individual heaviness here. I hope you feel this. All of you need this. You need to step into what God's saying. And look, I'm thrilled about this. I'm excited. Next month we're going to do a new sermon series, and it's going to look a lot different. As if this sermon series didn't look enough different, right? But it's going to be different because we're going to talk about what is the direction of the gospel house moving forward. And so listen, you need to be here, right? 
If you consider yourself, not if, even if you're not a member, if you just are, are a regular attender here at the Gospel House, you need to be here for this next sermon series because we're going to have some conversations that are going to shape who we are moving forward. And look, I'm, I'm not going to tell you all I've heard voices from the heavens telling me what's coming down the line, but I've gotten enough nudges from the Holy Spirit to know, guys, there's going to be some changes. God's going to do something different, and he's going to do something awesome. Because that's who he is. And I believe with all of my heart that if we come together as a church, one, one mind, one spirit, all united, that God is going to do something that he's never done before. God's going to do something incredible, right? But we've got to be united. So, we've done something goofy with our prayer time every time this series, haven't we? We're going to do it goofy again. We're not going to close with music. I actually want everybody to stand up. And we're going to go, we're going to go old school here. So I want everybody to condense down, come together, and I want to hold hands. We're going to go old school kumbaya style. We're not going to sing kumbaya, but... Uh, if you want to circle up, you can. We're just holding hands. Just holding hands. If you have a deathly fear of germs, you don't have to hold hands. Mark, you just walked into something real awkward. <laughs> Oh, we got to make our circle bigger. All right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to look around. Look around you. Now, I know, I know that there are some people missing, that we've got a couple people who aren't here. There's some people who are watching online right now who are really out of their minds awkward because they have no idea what's going on. They're like, what are they doing over there? This is the body of Christ. This is the gospel house. You all are the gospel house. This is so much bigger than one person or one vision or one dream or one leader. You are the church. You all need each other. We need each other. And God needs us to do what he's called us to do. And that's going to look radically different than what he's called other churches to do. And it's going to be radically different than what he's called other people to do and other things. But this is the gospel house. So we need to pray. And as we move forward, y'all, we need to decide who are we going to be. Who are we going to reach? What are we going to be about? What's God telling us? And we've got to let him shape us into the church he wants to be. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are your church. And God, we refuse to be anything else. We refuse to be made in the image of culture. 
We refuse to be made in the vision of one individual or, or a group of people. God, we are your church. And so I pray right now, Holy Spirit, speak to every single person here. Speak to our hearts, Lord God. Show us who you want us to be for you. God, we are the clay. And we put our very lives into the hands of you, the potter. Make us, God, into whatever you have for us. Help us to let go of our own dreams and our own visions, Lord, that aren't from you. And help us to step fully into what it is that you have for us. God, we are yours. Unite us, we pray. Bring us such unity as we surrender to you, Holy Spirit. A bond that cannot be broken by anyone from the outside. But that we would cling to you, Jesus. United as your church, standing as one, declaring with our lives that our goal is God himself at any cost and by any road. Help us to humble ourselves. Embrace being poor in spirit. Praying not my will and cheerfully surrendering to your will, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.